Welcome to the Ritual House Podcast, a show about the rituals we practice, the new ones we create, and the many ways rituals help us live deeper, more meaningful, and more connected lives. I'm your host, Tova Leibovic Douglas, and allow me to be the first one to say, welcome home. Hello and welcome home. I have been thinking a lot about my overthinking lately, which is precisely what I probably should not be thinking about because when I'm thinking about my overthinking, then I overthink my overthinking. You get my drift. And maybe there's some of you out there that understand the complexity that it is to be an overthinker. Or maybe it's quite simple, actually. We just overthink. (laughs) But I've been thinking about how this piece of me, which is, I don't know, genetically predisposed, something I've learned along the way, coping mechanism, something I indulge in, (laughs) something I I thought actually had gone away, but has returned to me in some formation of late. I realized because it's returned lately and I'm trying to quiet it, I've realized how much it really gets in the way of me accessing that deep spiritual part of myself and of the world how I'll be at like um, a gathering, let's say a spiritual chanting circle. I've been to two of those in the last couple of weeks. And I notice people are getting into it. And I am sitting there with my antennas up. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> Who is this person leading it? What happens if I sing loudly? Should I close my eyes? Should I open my eyes? See, I, I share all this because while I am here with the ritual house, hosting said circles, which I love. Please join a circle. Please join us. You can find more on Instagram. I struggle with it. I think it might be why I work towards leading them, how I work to be a ritualist and a rabbi, because it doesn't come naturally to me always. I mean, I love it, but it doesn't come naturally. And so I share this with you because I think it's important for me to share myself and also for you to know you're not alone if you're if you're in those kind of spaces and you're like, why am I not feeling it like everyone else? Well, maybe you're an overthinker or maybe you're just not feeling it that day and that's okay. What I will say is when I was able to quiet my brain in those moments of the chanting circles, I could access the present moment and I could feel the singing and I could feel the dancing come on. And gosh, it's such a good feeling when I can really access it. And I've just been thinking a lot about that, how there's so many barriers in our world that get in the way of us really accessing the present, the present moment, and then to go further in to accessing what's around us. And so I'm sharing it because it's on my mind and it's um, I'm a work in progress on it. And if you're a work in progress on it, reach out let me know. (laughs) So there's that. This episode, we talk a little bit about that, actually. So Minquel, my guest, a friend, and he's just remarkable in so many ways. I love his story. I love that there's different chapters of his story, how he is an artist in the truest sense, a creative in the truest sense, in the sense that like he has had so many different iterations of his creativity and creative form from dance to writing, to martial arts in between, and many other, many other creative endeavors. I love that. I'm taking that with me. And and I'm also taking from the episode the ways in which we can block ourselves and stop ourselves from accessing the parts of us that we want to access. 
And I think he's super vulnerable in sharing that and sharing his ancestry with us, which is so rich and so beautiful. And I'm just taking this idea that that it's possible even when something, even when we like sort of don't let ourselves enter into something fully initially, that there's a possibility to find it a little later. And that I'm holding this like beautiful idea that our ancestors are sort of on our shoulders, guiding us to to finding and accessing their joy and their rituals and their rhythms. Yeah, I think that there's a beautiful rhythm to this episode. I, I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Excited to introduce my guest, Minquel Ramon. I'm just going to read his bio and then I'll share why I'm really excited to have him on. So, as a creative artist, Minquel Ramon's artistry is a manifestation of his singular experience as an Afro European growing up in the Dutch metropolis of Amsterdam. Raised by immigrant parents from Suriname, his cultural heritage imbues his work with a rich and nuanced perspective. With nearly 20 years of experience as a professional dancer and choreographer, Minquel has shifted his focus to narrative storytelling. As a drama and genre writer, he imbues his characters with a fierce spirit of rebellion, breaking rules, and defying societal expectations. Through his writing, Minquel explores the inner lives of outsiders and misfits who search for self-discovery and rebel against the confines of the status quo. He lives in Studio City with his wife and two sons, and I am really excited to have Minquel on. We met through our kids' school, and the first time I met Minquel, I didn't know him. It was like in a backyard event of some kind, and I was like, I really want to know this person, and he's a dancer, and he's a choreographer, and he's a writer, and he's so interesting, and I want to know the whole story, and I also didn't want to bombard him with so many questions as someone that is like um, not an artist herself, but someone that really appreciates art and loves art. And I find every conversation with Miguel to leave me thinking a little bit differently about something more deeply, um, more connected to something that I didn't think about before. And he is just such a wonderful person, really amazing dad too, but like just a great human and artist. And so I'm just really, really excited to have him on the podcast and get to know him even more. Oh, thank Yay, you. You're here. <laughs> of course. That was so nice. Thank you. <laughs> so you're an artist. I love that you define yourself as an artist. I also love that you're writing characters that are rebellious and misfits. There's so many questions I have on that. And your whole story, your origin story, who you are. I don't know. I, I don't even know where to start because there's so many different, you know, some people have like nine lives, like you have right. a lot of lives. It seems like a lot of things because when I met you, you were a choreographer dancer. And now I know you you are that, but you're a writer, like, you know, in identity in some way. So when did you start realizing that you were an artist? Ooh. So at a really young age, whenever we had family functions at my house, everyone would be dancing. My grandma, my aunties, my uncles. And I was the only person out of all my, you know, nieces and nephews that wasn't joining because I didn't think I could dance. And so I quickly developed this, you know, camouflage of not having to be on the dance floor or in the living room. 
by always drawing. And I was really good at drawing. And so at every family function, uncles or aunties would ask me to like draw a portrait of them. And that's how I would spend like, you know, an hour taking way longer than I needed to do a drawing just so I didn't have to dance. But my, my, my drawings were apparently so good at like age six that my teachers in school were like, you know, he needs to be in a special program for gifted kids that, you know, uh, need to do like, want to go into graphic design and drawing and all that stuff. And I was like, yuck, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so my mom tried to convince me for a year and bribe me to go to this extracurricular art thing in my school. And I was like, no, that's for geeky kids. I'm not doing that, you know? <laughs> so... I rebelled against that heavily, but then after like a good year, I gave it a chance and I tried it and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And, you know, my skills got a little better and there were kids there that were way better than me at at drawing. So I was like, oh, okay, I'm not, you know, standing out too much. I can blend into the background, which was kind of my MO as a kid. But in that, I learned from this teacher that discernment was what made me realize I was an artist because... She would say, what do you think of this? And I would give my opinion. And she would say, you know, based on what you like and what you don't like, you'll discover what it is you want to contribute. And I was like, okay, so I'll only focus on what I don't like and I'll change it to what I like. And that will be my art. Hmm. And by contributing that way, uh, I kind of found, you know, my artistic voice, I guess. Hmm. That kind of helped me grow into or be more confident in who I, I was as a kid without having to prove anything outside of my, you know, non-ability of dancing. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. But that's so, that's so interesting that, first of all, you grew up in a family, it sounds like, that danced, Mm -hmm. right? That dancing was part of, part of it, right? Um, That's actually, I don't know, at least in America, I don't know that many people that grow up in families that dance. So I just want to lift that up. (laughs) And like, you felt like you couldn't, you were rebel in some ways rebelling. <laughs> were you rebelling against the dancing or you just didn't feel like you were a good dancer because you ended up becoming a dancer? Well, that's the funny thing because I'm still to this day the worst dancer in my family, but I'm the only one who decided to pursue it professionally. <laughs> but I think that it's because dancing didn't come natural to me. It wasn't like, you know, put music on and I just naturally knew what to do. Unlike my siblings, like, my mom would dance and they would join her and I would watch them and like, how are you moving your hips like that? I, I can't, I, I can't understand how you're doing that. And so for me, I think it wasn't like this innate understanding of my own body. And because of that, I was like, oh, I can't dance because you guys are picking up these steps like it's nothing. And I'm just struggling for months to get this two step right. So yeah, I guess in that I was like, oh, I can't dance. And I wore that label for a long time but I always wanted to be able to dance. And so I think the wanting to be part of my family in that way is kind of what drove me to want to become a dancer, hmm. subconsciously maybe. And then I had my, my, my grandma, I think at age 12, was like, you know, it's ridiculous that you're always running away when people ask you to dance and we're going to work on that. So I think for like a whole summer, every evening she would be like, I'm going to put on some music and I'm going to teach you how to dance. And she really broke it down for me. And this was more of the um, traditional dancing that they do in my family's culture, which is kind of like Caribbean. Mm-hmm. So it's like salsa, merengue, kind of mix of dance hall, all that stuff together, all coming from this, you know, African 
influence style of dance. Hmm. And so her teaching me kind of opened my eyes to, oh, I can actually learn this. So, okay, maybe it's not too late. And you were 12. I was 12, yeah. And I already decided, like, I'm, I'm never going to dance because I'm, I'm just not good at it, you know? <laughs> but it's like the most awkward time to learn to dance, oh, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Like, you know, like, it's 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 the time where if you were a dancer, if one did dance as a kid, at least for me, I guess I'm bringing myself in here, like, I did dancing as a kid and then I was 12 and I was like, oh, I'm, that's <laughs> yeah. done. You know, that's right. dead. We're, we're right. done with that. So, but that's so beautiful. And it, it sounds like it was, it was a really big part of your family and, oh, yeah. and your family's culture yeah. and you could trace it. I, I imagine, I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's, it's actually very interesting because the dance is such an integral part of Surinamese culture because it was this rebellious thing that they weren't allowed to do. So uh, Suriname uh, is a, was a colony of the Netherlands. And so my ancestors basically were slaves or enslaved people from Africa taken to Suriname. And in an attempt to kind of kill their culture, things a lot of things were forbidden, including dance. Mm. And so people would dance in secret to remember, you know, their African roots. And over time, I feel like all these enslaved people kind of fused all their experiences together and it became this new culture for the country they were in. Hmm. And so after slavery, dancing became this thing that, you know, no one's going to tell us we can't do it, then we're going to do it all the time. So, yeah, it's an integral part of that culture, but also in a spiritual way where, funny, I've never really thought about this. <laughs> There's this tradition where, I guess, in ritual, they, they play this really specific African drum that supposedly invokes your ancestral memories and mm. people innately seem to remember uh, in trance almost the african dances of the tribes they were from and people will go into trance and dance in ways where you're like how are you doing that you know how are you physically doing that it's like i don't understand and it can be like night and day for certain people that you know like i know your hips don't move like that because you have an injury, for example, and they'll move in a way where you're like, how are you able to do that? You know, and I've witnessed this as a kid and I was always like kind of scared of it, I guess, because mm. I didn't understand it. Yeah. But as I got older, there's a real appreciation for connecting with, you know, the the lost culture that we will never get back. Mm. But in a way, I guess our DNA seems to remember when certain type of music is played that it's still there. That is so powerful. Yeah. That is like, I'm like, I have chills. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, that it's like in the, it's like embodied. Right. Right. Yeah. Like dance is such an embodied art form. Right. And mm -hmm. so many other things about it, but that it's not like in our brains right. really, that it's like, like deep in our soul and yeah. our body somewhere where there's that like connection point. Exactly. And did you see this with the drum? Was it in ceremony in a ritualistic yeah, so setting or what, is it just like in the kitchen? Someone bangs that drum. No, and, it's, like, it's, it's definitely in a, in a, um, a ritualistic setting. People do it like on big birthdays, but it happens at like parties where Suriname's birthday parties ha always have a live band and the live band plays, you know, all the folk music that people love as well like new and old generation but then at some portion of the night they decide to like you know play these ritualistic ancient drums from africa in song too 
and like people left and right will fall into trances where you're like wait what is going on and as a kid i witnessed this and i was like oh no they're pretending there's no way this is real like how is this possible you know and you can actually look it up it's, it's called winty which is w-i-n-t-i and it's it's part of i guess the religion there too because they weren't allowed to practice their native religions they kind of masked it behind christianity mm. and so the, the, the I guess the deities became saints, mm. and so they would pray to saints, but really they were praying through their deities and the gods. Yeah, yeah. and and it, it's it's like to this day, like it's so intertwined that people I guess have a hard time remembering what it originally was. Wow, because it was always done in secret. But yeah, it's a beautiful thing to witness. Like I still don't understand how it works. Like I've seen my mom go into a trance and dance like that, and I'm like. I know for a fact you can't move like that, you know. You're did you did you ever did you ever no, I, go into I, I the trance? I wish I never. I I told my mom like, how do I get to how do I get to experience that? And she's like, you know, there's no there's no way to invoke it. It just either happens or it doesn't. And I'm like, do I have to be older? What is it like? What triggers it? And I don't think she even she understood what triggered it. But what about your siblings? And my younger brother had it once. I think my older sister too. So it's still passing down. I mean, I was curious yeah. if maybe like generationally, you know, it sort of shifts a little bit, yeah. but like it's still in this generation. That is yeah. so beautiful. And it's, that I, is so I think beautiful. It's, it's something like from the way my mom describes it, it's like, you know, it's, I guess, a personality thing too, where if you're sensitive enough and more in your heart than you are in your head, it's, I guess, easier to succumb to it. Um, but I'm a very heady person. So Maybe that's why, you know, like it, it, it just goes over my head because I overthink it and I'm not really tapping into the feeling of it. It tracks, right? Like the dance, like to dance, you have to get out of your head. Right. In order to I mean, I don't know. You will tell me more than me. I'm not a professional, but I know that for me, like I have to like be like, OK, don't think about it. Just do it. And you're sitting as like a really smart kid in your kitchen and everyone's dancing. You're like, ooh, <laughs> how I can't do it as good as everyone else. And right. so it definitely tracks if we're not you know, able to be present. You're like bringing something up for me that's really interesting. Like I, I've been thinking a lot about and working with ancestral trauma, mm -hmm. just sort of like the trauma of my people and yeah. how do we like free ourselves of it and how we're all reacting to it and all those things. Right. And something that I like have never thought about, I don't think until this moment, is that there's so much beauty in our ancestry, like beautiful, rich, culture, dance, yeah. movement, connection, ways, like that it's not just like getting rid of the trauma, it's also accessing those beautiful yeah. portals. Yeah, so true, you know? so true. And that feels so important. I, I forgot to ask you my question that I'm supposed to ask in the beginning, which is, do you have a ritual from like your childhood? I mean, that was such a good one. We can make <laughs> that one, but do you have a ritual also like, that helped you as a child? Yeah, it's, it's funny. Like, I, I used to have these night terrors as a kid. And my mom had this, it's almost like a perfume. It's very popular in the Caribbean. It's called Florida water. And whenever I would, would wake up from a nightmare, she would direct me to pour a little bit in my hands, rub my hands, and then breathe it in, and then move my hands over my head like that. And... Like, I still do that to this day when I'm, like, uncomfortable or too much in my head. 
to just kind of ground myself in the present moment. And you asking that makes me remember it. And it's something that I guess subconsciously do now still to kind of ground myself in safety in a way. Mm. Yeah. I love that. Also embodied. You're just, you're just, you're doing that this life. I don't know if you believe in whatever. I don't want to put my own stuff on you, but there's something there for you for, for whatever the reason is, is like finding, finding the way. Um, Did you grow up with any specific religion or spiritual? Like, I mean, obviously your background and culture is super informative in, in your life. I'm just curious if there was something else that you also did or didn't do. So my family was very, well, my grandma really was very religious. She was a evangelical, is that how you pronounce it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so she used to go to church all the time. I dreaded going to church because I was always like, it's cold here. People are being weird. I just didn't connect with, you know, sitting there and listening to someone speak and not understand what was being spoken. But also I had so many questions that people didn't have answers for. And I was, according to my grandma, always very inappropriate when asking questions. <laughs> just rebellious, a healthy rebellion. Yeah. And so, I mean, I was I was baptized. My, my All my siblings were. My mom was. And then for like Christmas and Easter, my grandma would break out her Bible and like read verses and stuff. But I kind of feel that stopped with her. Mm-hmm. Though my mom is like super spiritual and not necessarily religious in that way. Yeah. And even growing up, like she, I, I think out of respect for my grandma, kept up with all that stuff. But my mom was always way more into like astrology and mm. like Buddhism and trying to understand, you know, like what is it that the world has to offer in that regard and finding yourself in that way. So I kind of followed in her footsteps in that. What's your way, I guess? Are you... I consider myself a spiritual person. I don't really Mm -hmm. uh, subscribe to a specific religion. Just because you're talking to a rabbi doesn't mean you have to. Because, like, I don't know if I subscribe to one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because for me, honestly, it was always like there's, there's other religions offer things that I wouldn't find in my grandma's religion. And I would be like, well, why is that? And... Why can't I tap into things that are working for me? And growing up, I had a lot of Muslim friends and they would share, you know, their teachings. I'd be like, oh, I kind of like that. I don't like this, but I like that. And I'll take that with me on this journey. And same with like my, my Buddhist friends. Like I would just, when it, whatever was working for me, I kind of adopted and whatever didn't, I kind of rejected and came to my own conclusions in that way. Yeah. That's so beautiful that you had the like space and opening to do that. Meaning that first of all, that you had friends that were different, had different spiritual traditions or religions and you can learn from them. And secondly, that you could sort of, I don't know, have the freedom to be able to like take what feels great. Yeah. Not, I, I don't have that from my own background and my own way. So I, I'm always interested in that. Like someone that can just sort of do that, that there wasn't like one way that you had to be. Right. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like I really tried my grandma's way, but I got really disillusioned with the church we were going to, like on this one specific uh, occasion. The pastor was preaching about something and he basically said, you know, if you, if you believe in 
the power of God, you will smell the roses of the kingdom or something. And I started smelling flowers and I was like, where's that coming from? And I was, I think, eight years old. And so I'm wandering around the church and I go upstairs and there's these, um, this is a kind of balcony section where you could sit and no one was sitting there. And they were burning uh, candles there that were scented. And I was like, dude, this is what I'm smelling. These people downstairs don't know that. And my eight-year-old brain is like, I got to tell everyone. (laughs) (laughs) And my grandma was like, if you don't shut up right now. (laughs) You saw it. You saw through it. Yeah, I got a peek behind the curtain. I was like, all right, that's it. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, that I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, that is quite I was like excited when you started the story. I'm like, oh, my gosh, she's really I was like, oh, my gosh, she's really smelling the roses. That's so amazing. Like, I, you know, I didn't get that's me because, right, I'm like so earnestly like, yes, like, you know, um, in some way. But I love I love that. I love that story. I really think I don't know you that well, but I feel like that is very you. Yeah, it's, knowing a it's, little bit of you. It's it's funny because I see that in my children too, where they question things in a healthy way, and they're not satisfied with you know an answer that doesn't cover whatever they were questioning. And watching them, I'm like, okay, I get it now. I get why my grandma was always annoyed with me <laughs> when we were in church because I would find that moment to question something instead of afterwards, you know. Yes, I see that in my kids too. Yeah. And it's like, are they going to be able to be in the world? Because right. like, I don't know. I sent one of my kids to summer camp this past summer for a little bit. And she was like, the counselors were so strict. They were telling us what to do. Yeah. Like all the time. And I'm like, yeah, that's the real world. Like, you just live with me yeah. and your dad. And then you go to a school. You know, you're yeah. not allowed to ask a lot of questions. Oh, it's exactly. so interesting. And and I didn't ha- I mean, I'm sure for you also, you grew up, you know, not not in I mean, not at the school that we're sending our kids to, right? So right. I could ask questions, but it was I had people in my life being like, Stop. Right. Yeah. You know, All like the time. Yep. <laughs> right. Like, let's stop. You know, like I had a lot of questions. Stop, yeah. you know. But um that's really interesting. I'm curious for you, dancing mm-hmm. and writing, do both, do either feel spiritual or ritualistic for you? Ooh. Do you have rituals around them? It's, it's funny because I feel like I've always wanted to be a writer from a young age. I just didn't understand that that's what it was. Because watching film and TV, I never understood that the actors were doing someone's work. I thought, you know, I watch a movie with Brad Pitt and he came up with all those lines and I'm like, wow, these actors are amazing. Not knowing, you know, like, Oh, someone wrote that for them. You know, I feel like once I understood that it was like, wait, someone writes these stories like books. And that just filled me with such joy. The idea of, you know, being able to do that. I was like, that would be amazing. But I'm from Amsterdam. I don't know anyone who does that. And I've never met anyone who does that, so it's probably not for me. So I kind of buried it and was like, okay. I got into martial arts Hmm. at age 12 to like age 16, and keeping with the theme of rebellion, um, I was actually (laughs) practicing for the Olympic team um, to join uh, at age 18, 
But the- sorry, you started at twelve. And then you were able to maybe be on the Olympic team at 18? Yeah. And I was on track for that. But I also was, you know, very cocky, like very, very cocky. <laughs> and so watching too many 80s and 90s action films, I was like, I'm going to sign up for all these tournaments and I'm going to win championships and I'm going to be known around the world for, you know, being one of the best fighters and not recognizing any danger in doing that. And so at age 16, I entered this open tournament in Germany and faked my mom's signature, went there with a friend, and I was dominating until I wasn't, and there was no weight class restriction. So I was up against this guy that was at least 50 pounds heavier than me, and I was kind of mocking him because I could have ended the match quickly, but I was dragging it out to make a show out of it. And he got so angry that he was like, I'm taking this kid down. Like, I'm taking him down a notch. And he kicked me in the knee with his full weight and my knee locked up. And I was like, I've seen Karate Kid. I can keep going, (laughs) you know. Oh, gosh. And he did it again. And that basically ended it, ended like any uh, track to an Olympic team for me. Mm. And it was a sobering wake-up call of, you know, you can't walk around this world without taking accountability for how you affect and treat people. And that was a hard lesson that I really, really needed. But in that silver lining, uh, my rehabilitation, um, I discovered like this Tai Bo thing, which was like fight dance. I remember Tai Bo. Right? Yeah. And so I took that class at at this uh, rehabilitation center and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like you're, you're fighting, but you're dancing. And so I did that for like, I think a good six months. And then the teacher's like, hey, you should take like a normal dance class because, you know, you got some talent. And I was like, "Um, no, thank you. That cannot be true. Like, you don't know my family. So I'm good. But the idea got stuck in my head. And then actually, fast forward, I uh, went to a concert. There was an opening act for this R&B act, and it was all dancers, and they were amazing. And there was this girl on stage that I instantly fell for. And I was like, I got to go and talk to them and figure out how they got to be this good. So I approached them and asked them. And they're like, oh, we're training at this dance academy. You should come join. And that girl was Lorraine, um, my wife now. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, really in pursuit of the girl, I was like, I should take dance classes. And, you know, that was the best motivation I had. And so... I feel after like four years of taking classes, all of a sudden I got asked to do a gig and I was like, wait, I can get paid for this stuff? Hold on, <laughs> you know? And that basically started my dance journey where I was like, oh, this can be a career thing. I was really lucky because the injury that, you know, ended my martial arts track got healed through dancing, lucky enough. And so, mm. yeah, I was like, oh. Is that common? Like, can that, I don't know. I don't know, but I feel like because of the specific way you move in hip-hop dancing, you really strengthen the muscles in your knees. Hmm. And that's what my rehabilitation really needed. And so I would occasionally feel like my injury, but in like 20 years, maybe seven times where I was like, oh, I need to ice this. But yeah, to this day, I'm, I'm like still like, my knee is good. Wow. And When you danced, did it feel connected to your, I don't know, your parents, grandparents, ancestry? Do you like when you, I don't even know if you do dance anymore. Like at least once a year, I go out with my friends and we get down 
I still take classes whenever I'm back home in Amsterdam with all my dance friends. And then, you know, like even around the house when a good song comes on, I, I can't not dance. But the funny thing for me about dancing, I feel, is there's something, it's almost like a language for me where I have to learn to find confidence in my body. And once I had that, I could step out of my head and allow my feelings to or emotions to guide me through movement Hmm. and i think that process for me is very spiritual like for me it's almost like i need music to understand where i'm at emotionally and so dancing for me is always a discovery of what am i feeling and why am i feeling that and so yeah, I think even even as a professional dancer, the preparation for like, you know, getting into that focus you need for like a dance performance for me was very spiritual in a way, you know, quieting your mind and slipping into your body fully where you can feel your entire body and be present in it without thinking about, you know, because the goal was always for me to be in a space where I wasn't thinking about the dance steps at all. I was only thinking about Ooh, this feels this way and oh that feels this way and just responding right to to rhythm and and sounds and honestly those were whenever i got into that space the performance was always better than when i was in my head thinking five six seven eight five six seven eight right right and so i still catch myself like to this day using that even in writing to get to the space where i'm present in my body and not operating from my mind Mm. and in figuring out the stories I want to tell, it's almost like I have to get out of my mind. So inspiration can enter into my mind. Mm. You know, it's almost like I'm, I'm consciously being in my mind is like a full cup. And so getting out of my mind empties the cup to allow inspiration to come into the cup, if that makes sense. Mm, I love that. It does make sense. And it's so hard to empty the mind. I mean, for some of us, some of us can do it really quickly, I think. But for most, a lot of us, especially in our world, to just sort of empty the mind, to allow ourselves to be just present enough to let something come in is really not simple. No, it's not. I struggle with it daily where I'm like, okay, get out of your head. Nope, let's go for a walk. (laughs) You know, yeah. The funny thing is, like, once I'm in that space, it's really easy to slip into it afterwards. But the initial getting into it is always the tricky part. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually just talking to a friend who does a lot of spiritual healing. Mm -hmm. And she was saying, because she's doing a lot of it now, meaning, like, she's, like, working with clients all day and then doing groups and circles and like all the time. And I'm like, how are you? First of all, how do you have time to do all of it in your life? You know, like that, that I want to understand you're working in a different time paradox for me than me. But more specifically, how do you have the space to hold that sort of spiritual depth so often? Right? Yeah. And her reply was really interesting. She said, I think it's actually easier for me to do it more often than not. She said, when I was doing like just a monthly group 
and one session a day with someone. Mm -hmm. It wasn't enough for me to get into the space, but if I'm living in the space more often, it's a lot easier to just get into it. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting because that makes so I'm much always fun. like scared to do too much because I'm like, oh, it's gonna be too much. How can I hold it? But maybe it's actually if you're living in it in that way, it's a lot easier to just sort of yeah. tap in and access it. Yeah, it's. I think uh, I saw an interview with Kobe Bryant talking about you know being in that focused space and mm. how he would wake up every day and do the same thing over and over, just so his mind could slip into that space regularly at will. And I think there's something to it. Like the more you do it, the easier it becomes. It's kind of like, I guess, meditation, at least for me. Like if I don't yeah. meditate for a week and I try it after a week, it's like, am I starting from scratch? You know, but if I do it daily, it's like, oh, it's actually, you know, not that hard to get to where I'm trying to get. Yeah. Do you meditate? You meditate daily? I Well, not daily. I try, but I will, I will put on like, I do this thing where I use uh, binaural beats to help me like get into it. And on some days I'm like right there and I'm like, sweet. And on other days I'm like, no, it's not happening today. Let's go for a walk. Yeah. I actually was, I, I meditate regularly too, but I, um, there was a period of time I could not do it. And I discovered walking meditation and it really helped me. Cause it was like, oh yeah, I can, I can walk and focus on like, I can move and do this. Yeah. I can't sit still and do it. I don't know if that relates is relatable for you as oh, a dancer. Oh, 100%. Yeah. It's, growing up in Amsterdam, you do a lot of walking or, or, you know, bicycling around. But I would always go to parties and miss, like, the last night bus home and would be forced to walk. And there were so many of these walks because, you know, I would never want to leave on time when the party was still going to catch the bus home. And it would be like a, you know, a good hour and a half walk home, sometimes three hours, depending on where the party was. But I distinctly remember on each of these walks, you know, it was a very um, self-reflective journey all the time. And I feel like those walks shaped me more than anything else in life because you're almost stuck with your own thoughts and you're on a path where you know where you're going, but there's no way of getting there faster. So you, you kind of have to stay in the moment, <laughs> you know? Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, I would start out frustrated, like, you know, I did it again and why am I, you know, always doing this and having to walk? And then at some point it was just all bliss and understanding of, you know, well, maybe you want these walks. <laughs> maybe <laughs> there's something here that you're getting out of it where you're subconsciously sabotaging yourself to do these walks. I don't know. Maybe you could just choose the walks instead, right. <laughs> instead yeah. of self-sabotaging. Maybe be like, oh, I'm, I'm the type that walks home, right. <laughs> you know? Right. And so, I need that space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so after a while, I was like, you know what? I'm going to walk tonight. I already know it. So there's no need for me to try to catch that bus. I'm just going to walk home. Yeah, absolutely. I have one more question for you. Yeah. I am wondering if there is a ritual that you still do today that helps you in any which way? Ooh, there's this thing that I do that I learned in martial arts where you close your eyes and you focus on your breathing to prepare yourself for whatever it is you're about to attempt to do. And whenever I'm in the gym, I, I catch myself doing it where I'm like, I'm about to hit, lift some heavy weight. 
close your eyes and breathe and get into a space where you can see yourself do it before you attempt to do it. And that's something I still to this day do where it's like breathing uh, paired with visualization to get to the goal in mind. And it's something I used to do with dancing too, where I would have to see myself do the thing that I was attempting prior. And then while I was doing it, I didn't have to think about it because I already see myself do it. I don't know if it's a way of psyching myself out to like, or amping myself up, like you, you got this, but it's definitely something I still do. To this. Even it's funny. I even do this when, you know, there's a crowd of people at a function and I'm not a naturally extroverted person. So I kind of pump myself up to be that for a moment. You are that when I see you at a party. I know. <laughs> I seem like I am. It's a funny story. Totally. And this relates back to me not dancing at parties. Whenever we would go to a party that wasn't at our house, my mom would make this deal with me that I didn't have to dance if I went around the room and shook everyone's hand. And I hated it. I absolutely hated it. But I did it every single time. And even now as an adult, when I'm like, oh, there's too many people, I don't feel like talking to anyone. I still force myself to go around the room and kind of greet everyone. Work in the room. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, it kind of puts me at ease where I'm like, all right, I don't have to talk to everyone, but I can acknowledge that they're here and that's fine. You know, and so it, I guess, makes my introvert soar a little more where I'm like, I'm just talking to one person tonight, even though I said hi to everyone, you know? Yeah. That's good. I, I, I like that. I, I relate to that as an introvert myself. <laughs> I love that. Oh, Miquel, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I so want to make fun. sure that pe people know like where to find you. What is your handle? Is there anything that people, is there a website? What should we tell everyone right now to check you out? Uh, well, my website is com. I'm on almost all socials except for all the newer ones. And it's at Minquel, uh, just my first name. Yeah, so I'm, I'm mainly on Instagram, really, not really on any other socials. Yeah. No worries. Ch check him out at Minkwell on Instagram, his website. They'll, it'll be on the show notes. He's an awesome human dancer and writer. Thank you, Minkwell. Thank you. Thank you. This was so much fun and so much insight about things that I haven't really thought about in a long time. <laughs> so here here to help with that. Thank you. Yeah, this was great. such a fun episode. All right, here is the ritual suggestion for the week. I think you have a feeling where I'm going. If you know me by now, I am trying to be thematic. I think it's time to dance. I don't think I've suggested dancing yet. And I'm going to give you two different like potential ways to like ritualize dance. So the first is actually a little bit of research. I think actually accessing your lineage is super important. So like figure out where do your people stem from and see what the original dance forms are of the indigenous folks of your lineage. Like what is that dance? And find a way to play some music and try to dance that dance one time. See what happens. See if you feel your ancestors there. See if you can connect to them. See if you can connect to them. And through them, you connect to you. You know, for me, I'm going to be playing some Nigunim from Eastern Europe. 
and I'm going to be doing um, sort of like a Jewish horror situation. That's one side. The other side, I'm I'm probably at some point, I don't know if I'm going to do that this week, but I'm probably going to also access my Scottish side at some point. My mom converted to Judaism and her family's from Scotland. So maybe some bagpipes and sort of look at some Celtic dance moves. So I'm suggesting that. I know. Like, tap into it. See what happens. See See what you're called to do. So that's one. The second way is to pick a song that you think you and your people that you dwell with love or you yourself love and dance your heart out in your kitchen and do that every single day this week. We have dance parties in my kitchen regularly. I wouldn't say every day. I would say like two to three times a week. And I would say we move from if we're at like a, you know, two in energy level in our house, we move to like an eight, nine, or 10. So it's like a really great way to access yourself and your loved ones in a way that like you don't normally get to in a playful way. So that's the, that's the suggestion this week. Dance, 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 dance some more. Thanks for being here. Please, please, please continue to share the ritual house with your people. Follow us, subscribe, rate us, do the things. If you haven't done them yet and you're and you're listening regularly, please do them. It was so, 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 so helpful. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Talk to you soon. And have just like take good care of yourself this week, please. All right. Sending love. Thank you for listening to the Ritual House podcast. Please be sure to follow the show on whichever platform you are listening to this right now so that you'll never miss an episode. And as we grow the show, we want to hear about the rituals that are meaningful to you. We invite you to share your ritual practices with us. You can DM us at theritual.house on Instagram or find us on our website, www.theritual.house. Also, as a new show, your feedback is really important to us. Please head on over to Apple Podcasts and write us a review. And if you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with a friend? We'll see you back here next week to continue the ritual revolution. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a week filled with intention and attention. Take good care.